Matthew chapter 7, let's jump in today, and uh, we're going to find that we're only going to go through the first six verses of Matthew chapter 7, but we have been working through the, the gospel of Matthew, and we've come to the section that's commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things that we've highlighted each week is that Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples, but he is allowing uh, a much larger crowd to listen in. And the reason that he's doing this, teaching his disciples, the disciples are already fully in. The crowd as they hear, hopefully that's bringing them to the place where they want to go a little bit further in their relationship with the Lord to actually become disciples. So as we traveled through uh, it, the Sermon on the Mount began in chapter 5. And in chapter 5, one of the things that we notice is that Jesus said, I didn't come to nullify the law, but to fulfill. And it was at that time that, that we made the, the, um, the point that Jesus says that, says that I'm going to fulfill the law by living it the way that it was intended, not by the way that it was currently being misinterpreted by the religious leadership. And so Jesus took a number of commands that they were familiar with, and he says, you've heard it said this, but here's how it was supposed to be lived, and here's how it's supposed to be lived. And so we went through chapter 5, and then in chapter 6, Jesus begins to speak very practically to his disciples how they live that out. So he talked about giving alms you know, to, to those who are in need, he talked about prayer, he talked about fasting, he talked about putting God first, storing up treasures in heaven, and so he talked about that. In chapter 7, Jesus is going to take and change course again, and he's going to talk about how do we live this out as disciples in our interpersonal relationships. So we're going to pick it up, and we we need to remember that Jesus is speaking specifically to to disciples, and we're going to pick it up in chapter 7, verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus begins by saying, do not judge so that you will not be judged. And, and uh, how many of you have ever heard of that verse before? Yeah. Here, here's the thing. Anybody who's never even opened the Bible has heard of that. And you know that because if you say, hey, what's up with that? They will say, oh, do not judge lest you be judged. And, and they throw that, that out as though Jesus is teaching that we are to be universally accepting of every behavior, uh, every lifestyle, every teaching, and, uh, and, and uh, so, so they'll use it in that way. And sometimes even those who are Christians who've been around the church for some time, somebody will be doing something a little bit strange and our response is, well, I don't want to judge, you know, do not judge. Or somebody begins to teach something very strange and instead of saying, hey, what, what's up with that? We say something like, well, I don't want to be judgmental, you know, I, I don't want to judge. So, so the question is, Jesus, is Jesus saying that we can, can never judge something, whether something is right or wrong? Um, would you agree that as we've been traveling through that Jesus has been a little critical of the religious leadership? So, so he's done some judging, hasn't he? So here you have the section that begins with do not judge, but everybody go down to verse 6 real quick. Now in verse 6 of chapter 7, I want you to notice he says, do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine. Uh, before We'll talk about that today, but doesn't that sound like it's making kind of a judgment call? You've got to kind of determine you know, who's the swine, who, who's, who's the dog, and, and uh, what's a pearl. It's making a judgment. Well, then if you go all the way down to, say, verse 15, Jesus says, beware of false prophets. So apparently, 
uh, that to me sounds like a judgment call also. You guys say, well, th- this is truth and this is error. So you've, so, so you've got to make a judgment call. So what is Jesus talking about when he says, do not judge lest you be judged? Well, part of the problem with this passage is, is that uh, the word judge in the original language has a number of meanings. And the context always determines what, what he actually means. So for instance, there in your outline, the word judge, krino, in the original language means to distinguish, to decide uh, mentally or judicially, by implication to try. And then I want you to underline condemn or punish, condemn or punish. The way that this word in the original language is translated in your Bibles into English, uh, if you have the King James Version, it's translated as avenge, conclude, condemn, decree, determine, esteem, judge, ordain, call in question, sentence, or to think. So it it has a wide range of, of ways that it would be used, but the context always tells us what it's talking about. I had you underline the word condemn or punish because that's what this is talking about here in this passage. So here in this passage, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's going to be telling them, don't be so quick to be condemning of other people. And and again, he's speaking to his disciples. So apparently as he's speaking to his disciples, it is possible then for people who claim to be followers of Jesus, because he warns against it, it's possible for those who claim to be followers of Jesus to at times be somewhat critical of other people. Would you agree with that? So, so he's going to warn against that. Let me give you an, uh, an example of a time where these same disciples that he's told them, be careful how you judge, uh, forgot the message and began to condemn and criticize and drew the wrong conclusion. I put it there on your outline. I want you to notice this is going to be in Matthew 26, so in about 19 chapters. So uh, apparently they forgot the little discussion that we're having today. So it begins by saying, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of, and I've underlined, very costly perfume. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples, underline, were indignant when they saw this and said, why this waste? Underline that. For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you bother the woman? For she's done a good deed to me. For, For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. Now, underline this. For truly I say to you, when Jesus says truly I say to you, he says that's, you can take that to the bank. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. So Jesus says she wants to do something extravagant for me. Why do you care? What's the big deal that she wants to do that for me? I I love about this uh, that, that Jesus says what this woman does will be spoken of anywhere the gospel is preached. So today, here we are 2,000 years later, and what this woman did uh, has been spoken of as a memorial to her. And so here, in this case, the disciples got it completely wrong. They judged backwards, you might say, drew the wrong conclusions, and were very critical of something that was actually a good thing. Does that make sense? 
Now what's not said that I do find interesting is that Jesus says what this woman has done will be proclaimed wherever the gospel is, wherever the gospel is preached and uh, it'll be as a memorial to her. Uh, but something else is also preached everywhere the gospel is preached. Uh, and what's also preached that he doesn't mention is what jerks these disciples were on this day. So 2,000 years ago, we're still, or 2,000 years later, we're still reading about that. So it's interesting that Jesus left that little bit off, and that's probably a good thing. So let's start with this. Um, we'll start with this verse 1, do not judge, let should be, be judged. And so the, the point we're going to make here is don't be so critical. Go ahead and write that down. That'll be the starting point. So verse 2, he says, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured unto you. So here Jesus is not prohibiting that we make judgments, but one of the things that he is saying is that how you judge others is going to be the way that you are judged. So go ahead and write this down. Verse 2, only judge others by a standard we would also like to be judged by. We're going to be critical of other people. Um, we're going to be judged critically by God. We'll talk about that in a moment. So you'll remember if you've been traveling with us through this Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, there was this first section and it was called the Beatitudes. And uh, Jesus said, and I put it there on your outline, he says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. So basically they are being judged by the judgment that they gave others. They gave lots of mercy, they receive lots of mercy is the idea. I I think you'll agree that we tend to judge ourselves very generously. You know, when when I blow it, I want God to give me grace and forgiveness and mercy. When you blow it, I think you need discipline from God. You know, it's, I'd like you to experience some wrath. And we all do that. We all do that. I don't mean you personally, but we've all had people in our lives where, you know, we just wish God would one time. We're going to take that off the tape. So the idea is if I want God to look at me with a great deal of mercy, then I need to, when I see other people, I need to be giving them a great deal of mercy. What I want from God is what I need to be giving out. So if I, if I want God to give forgiveness to me, then I need to be in the place where I'm giving lots of forgiveness out. But he says you will be judged. From the way you judge, you will be judged. Now, I don't hold that that means that, that as you're a believer and uh, you've been a little bit critical along the way because the disciples were a little bit critical along the way, weren't they? So I don't believe that that means you get to heaven and God says, you know, there's that time you were very critical, well now you're going to get some criticism, you know, you're going to get that same judgment. I don't think that it's talking about that eternally. I think he's talking about it in the here and now. In, in uh, Cheryl's, in, in my life, there, there's a mentor in ministry, but this mentor early on had a very, very uh, strong position on marriage to the place where if... if uh, there was abuse or there, there, you know, major problems, even problems of safety, that his position was you stay in there and you pray, but you do not leave. You just stay, stay, stay. And uh, he, was, he was known for that position. And then one day he hears a knock at his door and it's his daughter and she's there and she's black and blue. And uh, his grandson is there and he's black and blue. And the daughter says, this has been going on in the family for quite some time. I think sometimes what happens when we take very strong positions about how other people should be, 
God has a way at times of letting us experience a little bit to see how it would be if we were experiencing that. Does that make sense? And I can tell you that that man's counseling changed dramatically because it was no longer somebody out there, you should, you should, you should. Now it's in his own family. And so I think that when he talks about in the way you judge, you will be judged, there are times when God says, okay, if you're being so critical, let you have a taste of it to see how that works out in your life. I think that's what it's talking about. Hopefully that makes sense. But then he goes to verse 3, and this is where the plot thickens for me. Um, He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. And I want you to underline the word hypocrite and uh, we'll talk about that. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So here Jesus does what he often what he often will do. He uses hyperbole. Hyperbole is an exaggeration to to make a point. So it would be impossible to have a log or a plank, however your Bible says it, in your own eye and at the same time observing the speck in somebody else's somebody else's eye. So hyperbole is something that we've all done. We've all exaggerated to make a point, and Jesus does this quite a bit. We've all said to our kids, I've told you a million times, clean your room. Well, technically it wasn't a million times, but the point that we're making is I've told you a bunch of times is the idea. So in that society, as Jesus uses this hyperbole, this would be in that culture a very humorous way to make a very strong point, and that's what he's doing. So uh, the, the idea here is that his disciples are, are to guard against uh, being very critical of other people, taking the specks out of their eye without noticing their, their own issues, their own stuff. One of my favorite stories, if you grew up in the church, you've heard the name of Charles Spurgeon. How many of you have heard of Charles Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon was a very famous Baptist pastor back in the 1800s, 1860s. And uh, one of the things about Charles Spurgeon is that in that time, people were very critical of people who smoked cigars. So if you were a Christian, everybody knew you were a Christian because you did not smoke a cigar. That was like taboo. And certainly in our century, we have our own taboos. And so they had that. Well, Charles, Charles Spurgeon said, you know, I'm not going to be in bondage to that. If I want to smoke a cigar, I'm going to smoke a cigar. So there was this one day where... Uh, they, they had a number of preachers come in, and there were three preachers on that day. And the way that they would do things in that church culture is uh, they'd have a big rally, and everybody from town would come, all the churches would come together. And so the first person speaks, and then it's time for the second person to speak. Now the second person is uh, going to walk up to the podium and speak, but this person is ginormously overweight, is the idea. And uh, Charles would be the third person walking up on the on to, to teach after this person. And in that church, the pastors sat on thrones. Have you ever been to a throne church where the pastors sit up in front on the thrones? It's very powerful. You know, you just, you, but they don't let you make decisions or anything, but you just feel like you're like a king or something. And it's very uncomfortable. Enough of that. So anyways, so the man walks up and he's extremely heavy. 
And he knows that Charles is next. And so he walks up and he begins to speak on the subtle sins. And one of the subtle sins that he speaks on is, is the smoking of cigars. And how can you call yourself a Christian if you smoke cigars and it's sin, 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 sin. And he knows that Charles is the next guy walking up. So he makes his point and he goes and he sits down next to Charles and Charles sits there and then with one finger goes like this. Poke, poke in the belly. And there's thousands of people there and everybody gets the point. End of church meeting is the idea. One person is looking at the speck in somebody else's eye without noticing their own. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. By the way, favorite Charles Spurgeon quote. This is for you who smoke cigars. Spurgeon was asked if he thought it was proper for him to smoke cigars. He answered, as long as it's not in excess. The person asked, well, what do you consider to be excess? His answer, when I'm smoking two at one time. (laughs) Isn't that great? All right, so so here, here's the thing. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. There's a much larger crowd. And, and part of that crowd is going to be some religious leadership. And Jesus has been taking on the religious leadership we saw in the last chapter. Don't be like the Pharisees, the hypocrites who stand in the street corners and they, they want everybody to know. So he's been taking them on. So one of the things that we find, and go ahead and write this down, that the Pharisees judged others to make themselves look good. They judged others to make themselves look good. Um, But disciples were to be very different. I I put there on your outline the verse 5, and he says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So unlike the religious leadership, disciples, and you want to write this down, the Pharisees judged others to make themselves look good. Disciples judge themselves so that they can help others look good. So they can help others look good. Helping somebody with a speck in their eye is a good thing. Doing that without taking the log out of your eye you know, is hypocritical. Now the part that hits me in this is the part that many times we forget that Jesus uses the illustration of a speck in the eye. He does not use an illustration of a splinter in the foot. It's very different. He's using a very, very specific illustration to draw some very, very specific points. And so one of the things that we find is that the illustration of the eye is going to teach us, you want to write this down, having a plank, which he calls hypocrisy, in my eye makes me unable to see someone's need or help their problem. See, the reality is... If uh, we have that plank in our own eye, we're not going to be able to realistically see the problem. We're not going to be able to realistically help in that problem. And, And so critical Christians can't really see somebody else's need and they can't really help somebody is the idea. But then it goes on, and I want you to write this down. The eye is the most sensitive part of the body. So Jesus is using this illustration for a specific reason. Again, he doesn't use splinter in the foot. He uses speck in the eye. And a speck in the eye, and you want to write this down, makes a very painful existence. Jesus knows what he's doing by using this illustration. You see, when you have a speck in your eye, you can't think 
of anything else. Everything goes back to that speck in your eye. So a, a speck in the eye is something that you would want removed from your life. Nobody wants to go through life with a speck in their own eye. So, so a speck in our eye would be something like an addiction. It would be a, a, painful, a painful situation, a painful divorce, a, a, a great loss. It, it would be uh, an ongoing sin that's causing a great deal of pain in, in someone's life. You've never met somebody who struggled with an addiction who was glad they had the addiction. Secretly they wish they could somehow get rid of that. It's a speck in the eye. A speck in the eye is always a painful thing in somebody's life and they really wish that there was some way to remove it. Now the, the, the next thing that he would say because he uses the illustration of a speck in the eye that we, and you want to write this down, that removing a speck requires extreme caution. Again, if he were using the illustration of a splinter in the foot, that doesn't require extreme caution. But you go to remove a speck from somebody's eye, that's very painful and it requires extreme caution. And the reason it requires extreme caution, and I want you to write this down, is because without great caution, I can cause more damage. And I, I think we, we would all have an example in our life where somebody noticed a speck in somebody else's life and yet without extreme caution, ultimately when the whole situation was done, the person still had the speck in their eye, but there was more damage caused by at times a, a well-intentioned but not extremely cautious believer. Does that make sense? So Jesus is very specific in using this illustration because if we're not careful we can, we can cause more damage. So as disciples we are called to help people remove specks. A speck of something in somebody's life that causes pain. But we can't do that if we're operating in hypocrisy. We're not at least owning up to the things that are in our life. We can't do that with a holier than thou kind of attitude. And when we do that, when we go in to help, it has to be with extreme caution. Because if we're not careful, we can cause more damage, is the idea. So far so good? So, so he begins and he says, on the one hand, don't be too critical. You know, Think about that. And he uses a very, very specific illustration. Then you come to verse 6. And in verse 6, he's going to go to the opposite extreme. Verse 1, don't be too critical. Verse 6, you want to write this down, don't be so gullible. So there's this balance between being critical and gullible. So verse 6 he says, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I I like how the NIV says it, I just put it there in your outline, do not give dogs what is sacred. So we read that and, and we go, and part of the challenge in understanding that verse is that we see pigs and we see dogs very, very differently. You know, when we think of dogs, we think of this well manicured thing, and some of you paint your dog's nails and that sort of thing, and you know, they, they go and they, they have their, their fur done or whatever it is they, they do. And and so we see them as pets. So in our family, we have three dogs and we have one pig. We have a pot-bellied pig named Princess. She is my baby, and she is an attention junkie. She believes that, that our purpose is simply to rub her belly. 
And no matter where we are at the house, she wants to be right there in the midst of it. And so she would be an indoor pig um, if, if I wasn't married to Cheryl. <laughs> but as long as I'm married to Cheryl, that's probably not going to happen. But you know, my, and my position is this for you parents. I, I, you know, wh- how are you going to give your kid a childhood you don't got no pig? How are you going to do that? <laughs> They're going to need therapy. Get your, get your kids a pig. So, so in, in my world, dogs and pigs are, you know, they're, they're part of the family, they're pets, you know, and, and so, so we view these things very, very differently than they did in the Middle East in Israel-specific 2,000 years ago. So 2,000 years ago, dogs were considered scavenging animals. They, they were unclean. And they traveled in packs. So you didn't have pet dogs in Israel 2,000 years ago. Pigs also equally were considered scavenging animals. And if you had a, a farm and the pigs came through, they would completely destroy your field. And so dogs and pigs would often uh, do something that's very disgusting to the, to the Jewish mind. If there was a, a dead, rotting carcass of an animal, a dog and a pig would think nothing of going up and eating that. That would be disgusting to somebody who was Jewish. And because of their hunger, many times uh, somebody would be alone somewhere and they would be attacked by a pack of dogs and dogs would sometimes kill people. For those of you who hunt, you know you don't want to be in the receiving end of a charging boar because they will tear you up. Is that pretty much how it works? So you've got to be very, very careful. So when they talked about dogs and pigs, they weren't thinking in terms of pets. They were thinking of dangerous animals who would turn and tear you to shreds. Now, the dogs and the pigs in our story would represent those who would be hostile to the things of God, hostile to the gospel, and ultimately they're hostile to you. The pearls and the holy things, that that would be the gospel. That would be what God wants to do. I think you also are part of the, the pearls and the holy things. And so you, you, you have this situation where you have these who would tear you to shreds and uh, you don't want to be throwing your pearls before them. You don't want to give what's holy to them. Sometimes in our zeal to reach people for the Lord, we put ourselves in situations where we want to share the Lord, but all we get back is hostility. We, we share and they turn, you would say, and tear you to shreds. They, they attack back and they don't want it. They don't want it. Here, the wisdom would be simply to say, I, I'm not going to keep myself in this situation. On the one side, we don't want to be too critical. On the other side, we don't want to operate in a mistaken zeal where we find ourselves continuously putting out pearls and that which is holy to those who will only attack back. And and for some of us, we've stayed in some situations way too long and have allowed ourselves in a mistaken zeal uh, to to be attacked and, and giving that which is holy to those who just don't want it. So Jesus says there comes a time when you you simply need to not do that. There's a, a great story at the end of Luke's gospel, and the story is Jesus has been arrested. He's uh, about to go to the cross. There's this king, and his name is Herod. Herod is the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. Herod has done a number of wicked things, and uh, so they bring Jesus before Herod. And there on your outline, 
In uh, Luke 23 it says, Herod questioned him, questioned him, that's Jesus, at some length. And notice Jesus' response. But he answered him, nothing. You see, there, there came a point where God said, you, you've had the opportunity of you've returned that with hostility, tearing to shreds, attacking. And so at this point, I have nothing else to say. We're done. It's a bad thing when God looks on and says, we're done. We're done. And so when somebody has proven by their words and their deeds that they're going to take what is holy, the pearls, and all they're going to do is trample it underfoot and turn and tear you to shreds. It's okay to say, I'm stepping out, I'm stepping away, I'll always be polite, I'll be calm, but I'm not staying in this situation any longer. Does that make sense? Now, uh, and I say that because every once in a while in our mistaken zeal, we stay in a situation uh, that, that we should have long since exited. So somebody comes up to me and they say, I'm in this job and my boss makes fun of me, puts me down for being a believer, uh, I, and, and attacks, all, all of these things. And, and, but, but I think I should stay in there and keep giving, you know, keep, keep be loving and keep staying in there and hopefully maybe, maybe what, what needs to take place is you need to stop putting your pearls before swine. Maybe you need to stop giving that which is holy to dogs. They don't want it. And so if they don't want it, you just simply step out. Sometimes in our Christian mindset, we think that we have to stay and be a doormat to those who want absolutely nothing to do with Jesus, the gospel, or you as a believer. And so how do you discern between being too critical or too gullible? Well, uh, verse 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. And Jesus is going to teach you, take that to prayer, and it's in that time that it reveals. But we're not going to go through verse 7 all the way to the end. We're going to pick that up next week. We're going to stop right there. Did that make sense today? And uh, hopefully for some of us today, it, it helped us on the one hand to realize that we are at times, to call, we are at times called to dif- discern and decide this is truth and this is error, this is right and this is wrong, and, and it's not wrong to judge in that way. On the other hand, we don't have to stay in a situation where we find ourselves putting our, swirl, our swirls before pine, <laughs> pearls before swine. I'm going to stop right now. I'm just going to pray. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word and for this congregation. Lord, we want to find the balance. Uh, we don't want to be overly critical on the one hand, And yet we don't want to be overly gullible on the other hand. So we look to you in situations and we say, Lord, we're going to ask. And Lord, you say we're going to receive. So so Lord, as you make it clear, we'll go forward. And I pray God for us as a congregation that you would help us to rightly represent you in all things. And Lord, that you would use us to accomplish great things for you. And Lord, uh, always in step with your spirit and and what it is that you're doing. Keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.